consent gives birth to love and life. We foster passion to grow geniuses which lift humanity. And tailor technology to preserve liberty and balance with nature. Welcome, Welcome to Radical. Good morning, boys and girls, ladies and gents. I'm your host, Shane Hazel. Welcome to Radical. Thank you guys for all being here. If you love the show, you can go out and support it at patreon.com slash radicalpod. I think I'm going to move everything over to Cash App uh, permanently. Uh, and I want to thank all those guys that are out there supporting me on Cash App. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to support on Cash App, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's a much more um, freedom-based technology in terms of exchanges. Uh, you can support over there at uh, the dollar sign Shane Hazel. So uh, you can also buy Bitcoin over there. Great time to buy Bitcoin. I think we're getting close to 23,000. Uh, I think we did go over 23,000 this weekend. I think, I don't know, possibly if we stick on this trend, I think uh, the bottom may have been already been in uh, around 16. Uh, for those of you guys that got in around 16, uh, congratulations on, you know, on seeing this, this technology, this movement, this culture, this businesses, like everything that's connected to this ecosystem that is absolutely about to take off. It's going to be uh, it, it's going to be incredible. Uh, just just watching it. I mean, I get I get excited. Uh, what I don't get excited about, and what we're going to talk a little bit about today, is all of the hysteria around the climate and what's going on, and the fact that we've still got this former vice president of the United States, Al Gore, uh, going out and talking like a madman in front of I don't know the the, the World Economic Forum at Davos. A lot of that going on. A lot of people who have no idea what the hell they're talking about going on over there at Davos. Um, heads up, uh, if you guys want to catch it, I'm not going to play it on this episode. But uh, I did bring up, for those of you guys that live in Georgia, Brian Kemp was there. Um, if you guys don't know Ezra Levent, uh, Ezra Levent, I believe, was the founder of Rebel News. And he is uh, you know, one of their front guys. He's been running around over there with Avi uh, for better part of a week probably a little bit more than that and he caught up with brian kemp and if you've seen any of the you know the, i don't know the, the 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 interviews that they've tried to have where they just ask guys questions on the streets that you know they should be answering they shouldn't it, it, I, I think their silence speaks you know just volumes but same thing with brian kemp uh he comes up to brian kemp and you know brian kemp sounds like he's dragging a uh, dragging a gong down the street behind him but now i'm gonna bang and give my, my my calendar team blah blah and you're just like jesus christ can't answer a damn question i'm gonna tell you i know what he said in public i want to know who he has met with in private i want to know what he is doing over there who who is he you know who is he being wined and dined by who is he getting his marching orders from because I, I think legitimately, um, whether it was Stacy or Brian, I think they're both bought and paid for. And I think this is what's happening right now. Uh, Brian Kemp over in Davos. And, and Ezra makes a, a beautiful point. He's like, don't you find it a little bit hypocritical? Because you're over here in a you know five-star lap of luxury type of uh, atmosphere. While Georgians back home are suffering the, the worst inflation that we've, that we've ever seen. Um, it, it's gotten really nuts, but 
great points. Great job, Ezra. Uh, way to make Brian look like the boy he is. Uh, you can catch that. It's over on Rumble. Um, I'll, I'll put a show link in there for you guys if you do want to catch it. Um, but what's really going on? Uh, when The other weeks uh, when I guess I had talked about you know what I had seen over there in terms of the cyber attacks and catastrophic um, you know, power outages. A lot of you guys responded. A lot of you guys were asking questions. A lot of you guys showed concern, and I think, um, I, I think I was right in talking about this. This is one of those things where I don't want to panic people. That's not. It's not my thing. Um, I think being free is something that you have to work at. I think it is a twenty four seven job. I think it is one of those things that you just move closer to as you as you progress in your ability to be independent. And I mean, that's, that's what independence is. It's not going out on one day a year and celebrating the idea of independence for people who lived 200 years ago. Some people who lived 200 years ago with that, that's not independence. That's not anti-fragility. That is one of those things where you've got to get at it. You've got to start moving down that path and, and really, um, I think it's I think it's extremely late in the game, but you guys responded in a big way and said you want to you want to know more about anti fragility. You want to know more about homesteading. You want to know more about what it takes to be independent. And I will tell you, it's just it's a priority set. Um, and you know when when we were talking about the catastrophic power outages from a cyber attack last week, the the grids are facing. You know, and not not here in America yet. Uh, I will tell you, it's it's a. I think it's a fairly fragile grid system that is here in America. Uh, the three grids that there are, but when we're talking about the uh, the UK grid and Pakistan's grid right now, people are going without power um, right now in in the UK. They are talking uh, about paying people to shut off their energy use. There's a there's a couple articles out. Um, this one is from the the Telegraph. It says National Grid ready to pay customers to cut energy use as cold weather continues. Demand flexibility service activated after increased pressure on UK electricity. Households will be paid to cut their electricity for the first time on Monday between five and six p.m. under plans being drawn up by the National Grid, with temperatures expected to plummet to negative two degrees Celsius today. Ramping up pressure on Britain's supplies, the power network's operator is planning to call on consumers to use less electricity to help it manage the system. Around a million people have signed up for the scheme. <laughs> uh, they could, I, I don't know, may, maybe scheme is used differently, um, but a million people have already signed up for this, which will see them paid as much as 10 pounds a day to cut the amount of electricity they use at certain parts uh, to, to tackle the efforts for the energy crisis. This could mean, for example, not running the washing machine or dishwasher during that hour or waiting to charge your electric car until nighttime. The scheme has previously been trialed, but the proposals to use it at a time of high demand have never reached this stage of planning before. Energy sources on Sunday night said agreements linked to the plans had been made with suppliers that could not be Reneged, reneged on. So, um, they, it goes on. But I mean, this this is not surprising. I think you know they're exporting electricity. They had a giant coal plant that they 
um, have on standby over there, but they're not using it. And it supplied, I guess, millions of people with jobs. And people are pissed. Like People are really, really pissed about this whole thing. And I think this is just the shot across the bow. You know, at some point, it's going to go two hours, three hours, four hours. Now it's not, you're not signing up for this. This is mandatory. Can can people do this? I think it's I think it's really odd, you know, when you're talking about rationing. And the thing is, is rationing comes with more and more and more government control. If you have an abundance of energy, you're not talking about rationing energy. If there's an abundance of energy, it correlates with more freedom of energy. That's good for people. Like team people, yay! Right? Like we have an abundance of energy. It makes doing things cheaper. It gives us more freedom to travel. It gives us more freedom to do more work. It gives us higher margins in our profits. Or in this case, you know, if, if you want to if you want to drop your prices because energy is so cheap that you find in a massive savings in what you're doing, what you're producing, your services, then people on the other end get services, they get goods for lower cost. I mean, this is this is economics 101. And the fact that, you know, we're talking about turning down grids and we're turning off grids for, you know, net zero. This whole scheme, that's the scheme. This net zero crap that, that, that everybody's pushing around the world, this this, I don't know, this absolute fiat rejection. You know, that's the thing is we've gotten to the point where they, a lot of, a lot of places that export things like coal, uh, that export petroleum, carbon based fuels, they're done with a pound and they are done with a dollar. I think this, you know, what they're moving towards for net zero and ESG is because of the banks talk about it all the time. These these organizations, uh, these countries, kings, queens, presidents, you name it, they don't want the dollar anymore. They know what they're doing. They are trying to inflate their way out of debt. It's their only chance, only choice, I should say. They're going to default at some point. June 5th is the date that Janet Yellen said, hey, uh, we're taking extraordinary measures to get you to June 5th. You might want to go ahead and get together and sign that omnibus bill and give us everything we want is basically what they're doing. They're, they're holding McCarthy and the Republicans or at least making a show out of it and saying, yeah, you better do this now. Uh, that's it. Like that's you're either you're going to either renege on your your ability to pass one bill, you know, one single subject bill for cost and spending and all that kind of stuff. You're going to you're going to go back on your word. You're going to look like a bunch of idiots. When, when it comes time to pay the piper, or you, the Republican Congress, is going to be left holding the bag when the, when the default happens. A default is going to happen at some point. And there's no getting around. At some point, somebody is going to be holding the bag. I would bet it's going to be the Republicans. I think 2023 is the year. They may stave it off till the end of 2023. I don't know. But this debt ceiling... Why is debt ceiling is a big deal? Because other countries don't want our debt anymore. They And that's the thing is every dollar printed is just more debt. They don't want it. So ESG is a response. Net zero is a response. We have to cut back power because these countries that take our fiat 
currency, our cuck bucks, are saying no more. That's a big deal. They're also forming things like BRICS. If you don't know what BRICS is, BRICS is the international alliance between places like China and India and Brazil and Saudi Arabia and other organizations. Iran possibly is joining. You know, the people that are really, really rich in natural resources, these these carbon fuels that we've been paying in fiat forever, they're they're thinking about going to an economy based on things like gold and silver and petroleum and minerals. Yeah, that's really bad news for the fiat world, especially the fiat bankers. So to prevent outrage and to, to push this thing on for as long as possible, who's going to suffer? Well, the people who have been living off of the, I guess the fiat bonus structure for as long as they have. That's, that's the UK. That's the Western world. That's the US. It's Europe. All of these places are going to be tightening their belts. Make no mistake, ESG is just what they're doing to say, hey, you know what? This is not on us. This is on you. They're pushing the blame of their fiat life, of their fiat money, of their fiat banks, of their fiat policies. They're pushing that down and blaming you, and they're calling it the you know, they're calling it pollution. They're they're talking about carbon footprints. I mean, it's absolutely nuts. What we saw last week from, I don't know, this, we gonna this, bring former, these... vice, oh, this former vice president, Al Gore, um, and found this. If you guys don't know who Tom Elliott is on uh, on Twitter, he makes some really good uh, videos. But this is, um, this is Al Gore in his own words last week. And, I mean, the guy went... <laughs> the guy went a little nutty, but uh, it's definitely worth listening to. And to kind of pull out, you know, he's got some notes that he's looking at before he reads this. And I want you guys to listen to what he says because I think there's some things in here that are more or less telling the powers that be at the World Economic Forum what they need to be doing to cause absolute elimination of self-governance. Listen. Emissions down. And, and just to put the science in a, a slightly different context, people are familiar with that thin blue line that the uh, astronauts bring back in their pictures from space. That's the, that's the part of the atmosphere that has oxygen, the troposphere, uh, and it's only five to seven kilometers thick. That's what we're using as an open sewer. If you could drive a car straight up in the air at interstate highway speeds, you'd get to the top of that blue line in five minutes. And all the greenhouse gas pollution would be below you. We're still putting 162 million tons into it every single day. And the accumulated amount is now trapping as much extra heat as would be released by 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every single day on the Earth. That's what's boiling the oceans, creating these atmospheric rivers and the rain bombs and sucking the moisture out of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. We have to act. So in answer to your question, I would say, 
We have to have a sense of urgency much greater than we have yet had, and we need have had, and we need to make some changes. We're going to bring. All right, so that's Al Gore bloviating. Now, there's some key things in here, right? <clears throat> when he talks about, you know, six, I don't know, whatever his figure was, six million, you know, Hiroshima-style atomic bombs exploding on Earth that's trapping heat, that's boiling the oceans. Oh, my God. I don't know, guys. I haven't seen a boiling ocean yet. I haven't. I think this is a lot of hyperbolic nonsense. You know, the, the rain bombs. I think this is what they've done. I think what they've done is they've tried to take mother nature and all of her beautiful naturalness and the fact that she is a complete bitch when it comes to you know making sure that the the earth is washed clean and things are you know always changing i think what they've done is they've tried to villainize mother nature but instead of mother you know talking about mother nature being the ferocious bitch that she is, it's always trying to you know wipe things out or renew the earth or you know make it more natural. I don't know. Uh, other than that, they're blaming you. Think about that. There is, I mean, not once have I ever heard any of these climate alarmists talk about the sun ever, never. You know this gigantic nuclear ball that's floating out in space that we're following. You know, and and it. On, on, on this rock, you know, sometimes that thing glows a lot hotter. Sometimes it goes a little more dormant. Sometimes, you know, that's just the way it is. Sometimes we have pole shifts here on Earth. Yeah. I mean, go back and look at what's called the Younger Dryas. Man, unbelievable stuff. But when, when we have guys bloviating like Al Gore who have a lot of push and a lot of pull in, these, in this world, especially with the the governments and the fiat machines like this is he's their guy. You want to know why Al Gore is still important because he's a lunatic that will get out here and, and bloviate and take passionate stands about us, the human beings that live on this earth and make you the bad guys for their fiat failure. Yeah. He's selling the fact that it's you and not them. He is he is putting all the blame, which is exactly the agenda of the banks. They've got to push the blame somewhere else. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think this was more of a cryptic message. And I know it's con- conspiratorial, right? But you know, I, I when I when I get to the point of you know conspiracy, uh, George Carlin, great great man. He was on a panel one time. And he was talking about, you know, whatever, you know, was going on. And one of the, one of the other panelists said, you know, something about conspiracy. And what about a billion? Boy, here we go. He just won't shut up. Uh, George Carlin said something to the effect of, um, you don't need a conspiracy when interests overlap. And he was, you know, spot on. He said, again, he said, you don't have to have a conspiracy when interests overlap. Well, what is Al Gore's interest? Al Gore wants to be paid. Al Gore wants to be rich. Al Gore has always been in bed with the fiat. I mean, he was a vice president of the United States, and he's been pushing this to get rich for a long time. So when you look at overlapping interest, overlapping interest between the bankers and Al Gore exists. Anybody who will sell this narrative, who will push this as hard 
as they can and be a salesman for the banks because the fiat dollar and the fiat pound and the rest of this crap that is central controlled economy, it's all failing. So who are they going to pay? Man, they are going to pay this dude. They are going to pay anybody who goes out there and shills for them. This is it. You, you want to talk about one of the biggest ways you can get paid by the banks? Go out and be an absolute shill for ESG, for net zero, for criminalizing the human race to the point where I think, I think Al Gore and this crowd, I think these guys actually want war to break out. I think when he talks about the bombs, what I think he's doing is telling them how to make this happen. If you listened at the end, Al Gore was saying this, you know, if you have billions of people crossing, you know, imaginary lines on a map, you destroy our ability for self-governance. Now, Al Gore is not a fan of, of self-governance. He doesn't want you to be able to control your own destiny. He doesn't want you to have lots of cars. He doesn't want you to fly in on jets like him. He doesn't want you to have a thermostat that you can control. He doesn't even want you to be able to control your own power. Self-governance? Does he really care about self-governance? No, he does not care about self-governance. So if you go back and look at what he's saying, I think what Al Gore wants is exactly what he's saying here that he doesn't want. He's telling them what the recipe for bringing about this, you know, this ESG net zero, you know, CBDC world. I think he is giving them the recipe on what they need to do and how they need to approach it because right now they're failing faster than they thought they were going to fail. It makes sense with a commodity like Bitcoin out there that is growing faster than anybody ever expected, that is growing faster than the internet grew. I think they know they are in absolute deep shit. So what is Al Gore telling them? Hey, watch the nuclear bombs. Let's get at war. Let's go. Ratchet it up. Because if you do this, what you're going to do is you're going to create refugees. Lots of them. Lots and lots and lots of refugees. And if you create lots and lots of refugees, what do we have? We have international crisis around the world. A global crisis of refugees. This is exactly what they want to be able to take control you're going to have to act faster, much faster. At, what did he say? Accelerated, much more accelerated. So we're going to listen. I, I hate to do this to you guys, but we're going to listen to it again. And I'm going to interrupt and show you guys exactly what he's saying. Here we go. A slightly different context. People are familiar with that thin blue line that the uh, astronauts bring back in their pictures from space. That's the... That's the part of the atmosphere that has oxygen, the troposphere, uh, and it's only five to seven kilometers thick. That's what we're using as an open sewer. If you could drive a car straight up in the air at interstate highway speeds, you'd get to the top of that blue line in five minutes. 
and all the greenhouse gas pollution would be below you. We're still putting 162 million tons into it every single day, and the accumulated amount is now trapping as much extra heat as would be released by 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every single day on the Earth. That's what's... 600,000. That's a, seriously, Al Gore. I mean, that's... What a bunch of bunk. 600,000 Hiroshima-class bombs every day? Yeah, come on. That's crazy. But let he, like I said, he goes on. I think, I think what he wants is war. I think that's what he's pushing for. Boiling the oceans, creating these atmospheric rivers and the rain bombs and sucking the moisture out of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century. Look I think what he's telling everybody is this is the way you do it. This is a madman. I'm going to tell you right now. I think Al Gore is an absolute madman. One billion. He's telling them how to make this happen. You want you want your one world government? You are going to have to unleash pandemonium on Earth. Six hundred thousand nuclear bombs a day. Boil the oceans. I think this is exactly what he wants. Listen further. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million. He's telling them, you've seen what's happened with a few million. Man, ramp this up to a billion. Ramp it up. What are you doing? Ramp it up. We are at the edge. Now, we are at the edge of losing everything that they've worked on that they thought they were going to you know, probably bring to fruition closer to 2030. He is, I think, terrified. Refugees, what about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. We have to act. So in answer to your question, I would say we have to have a sense of urgency much greater than we have yet had. And we All right. So more urgency... And he is telling them, you know, this is going to destroy everybody's ability for self-governance. I I guarantee you guys, when they're talking about cyber attacks and everything else, get get ready. Do you put it past these people? I definitely don't put it past them. This is crazy. It's absolute mania. I've said it before. I've, I'll say it again. The murder cult. The politicians, the elite politicians... The banks and all of these people that get together over there, you know, the, the, the tycoons of business, they want total 100% control. And their interests right now are concentric. If it wasn't bad enough that we are being plotted against by these idiots, absolute idiots, as the banking system comes unraveled, and you see it plain as day if you understand the incentives. It makes sense why people like Al Gore and Greta Thornburg and the rest of these people rise to prominence because they're backed by the banks, right? That's the incentive structure. These failing banks are going to elevate people who try to help them out, who try to pull, push their ESG, their their climate nonsense, as they can. the The audacity that human beings think that they can control the weather on this planet is 
is amazing to me. They're they're they might be able to do some things uh, with some you know some efforts of cloud seeding and things like that. Like I th- I think that's real. I don't think that it actually absolutely controls all weather on Earth though. I don't. I don't think you know it, at the same time you know they're not controlling the amount of solar radiation we're getting. None of that. But to make it worse, and to, 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 I don't know, kind of put it on full display, uh, Al Gore was sitting on the same panel with uh, Petro, and forgive me, uh, Urego, I think is how you say his name. Um, he's the Colombian president, and he says that capitalism helped create global warming and our state of global anarchy. Oh, boy. All right. First of all, it's central control. Centrally controlled economy. This is not capitalism. America has not been a capitalist society for a very, very long time. 1913, the Federal Reserve Act comes in, and that's it. Like We're no longer even remotely a capitalist society. It's centrally controlled at that point. And then to say that there is global anarchy. Oh my gosh. I wish. We're the furthest we've ever been from global anarchy. And that's the biggest problem, right? Is... Is during COVID, do we see more control or less control from government? More control or less? It's real simple. We saw more control. Easily spotable. I mean, they were arresting people on beaches, people surfing. They were arresting moms on playgrounds. We saw so we saw an explosion of tyranny. Global anarchy, my ass. Listen to this guy. Uh, there is a translator because he obviously is not speaking English, but the uh, the translator is uh, is pretty prominent in this audio. And it's something that is not often mentioned, capitalism. Can the capitalism that we have known in the last 30, 40 years overcome the climate crisis that the capitalism helped create? It's a rhetorical question, but it also makes sense, because if the answer is no, then we're wasting our time as we reach the normal return. So on their face, right? They're saying we have to do something different. We have to move from capitalism into what? More controlled economy to, to conquer global global warming, global climate change, whatever they're calling it these days. That that's what we have to do. We have to get rid of freedom. We have to get rid of commerce from me to you. I'm going to tell you right now, what they're talking about is getting rid of the ability for you to transact with other people of your free will, of your free volition, without being tracked. They don't want that. They can't stand that. This, these are the people who are pushing for the mRNA so that they can edit your genome, so that they can edit your genes, so that they can control you uh, through a social credit score. Right? They, these are the people who are talking about and who wanted more of the lockdowns, who wanted more of the vaccines, who wanted a vaccine system with IDs. These these people are, are the most tyrannical people on earth. And it's just, it's so plain to see. You know, that's the thing is, if we were having free exchanges, if, if we were honoring people's, you know, human rights, hell, if we were even honoring the agreements from you know, the, um, I guess it was the Geneva Convention, right? When when they went after people after Nuremberg, 
and said, you will never forcefully inject or subject anybody to take something they don't want to take in terms of medical treatments. They, th- this was literally forced down people's throats over the past two years. 2021, 2022, people lost their livelihoods. They lost their business. They lost their jobs. I mean, you name it. Why? Because they wouldn't take a vaccine? Sure. That's absolutely what happened. So they're telling you that we have to get rid of capitalism. The idea of interacting freely is what capitalism is. Not not what you know, not what actually was. Don't don't pay any attention to what actually was. But just what what we what we're telling you. We've got to get rid of capitalism so that we can make sure we are taking care of this planet so that the human species is better off. Well, I hate to break it to everybody, but I think we're losing somewhere around fifty thousand people a month to my, uh, myocarditis. Like that's crazy. 50,000 people a month is a Vietnam every month. And what they're saying is because they of, of force and coercion, right? Like you think they really care about the human species? No, they don't. I think a lot of these people want a, a large reduction in the human species. They, they, they see this as way too much. And as a liability of the banks, if you go and, and take it a step further and you, and you see that these people are a liability... What do you have to do? All the Ponzi schemes that you put forth in the socialist, shared, subsidized economies around the world that are aging out right now. The baby boomers who are aging right now, who are going to be on Social Security, who are on Social Security, who are on Medicare and Medicaid, everything that they ever paid into that. And it's not going to be there. As the system crumbles and, and they don't have any more credit, if they've reached the debt ceiling and they can't pay for these people's retirements after they paid for decades and decades and decades, man, what do you think that is? It's not just the liability that these people aren't going to be taken care of, but the public backlash. This is blowback. This is, this is the liability part. If they can't take care of those people, what does it say about what their plan was for subsidizing each other's lives? It's complete horseshit. It was a fantasy. It's come to fruition. We've seen it. We were saying that this is what was going to happen. And now it's come to fruition. They can't have that. No, 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 no. So what do they have to do? They have to take out a lot of people. They have to kill off an older generation so that there's not as much liability. Problem is, thank God that Twitter is a bit freer these days and nobody's nobody can stop information from traveling around the earth. That's the problem. These guys can't stop what is happening in the human species right now. The sharing of information across borders at the speed of light. They can't stop it. The magnification of the network effect. They can't stop it. The understanding that this is going on and that there is literally an alternative to peace, to real capitalism, 
where we don't have to destroy each other to move into that arena, Bitcoin, is here for everybody with no rulers. And if you want to play ball, you got to play ball by the rules. That's it. These guys are scared to death of what's coming. They see it. I guarantee you, these people see it. Some of them, you know, are as evil as the day is long. But the other ones, probably, you know, quite a few of them. The ones that are running countries, they're useful idiots. A lot of them are just useful idiots. But that's it, guys. All you got to do is look at what is the incentive. At the end of the day, the banks are the big bad, period. And their system of central command is coming to an end. And that's why they pay guys like Al Gore and Greta Thunberg and the rest of these climate alarmists as well as they do. It's because they're pushing the narrative that they need at the end of the day to last as long as they can or implement CBDCs. Mark my words. Because on the other side of that, like I've talked about, is Bitcoin. Now, in terms of the environment, in terms of capitalism, we all know about capitalism under Bitcoin. You and one other person, you guys want to trade? Great. Make a trade. There's no, there's no banks. There's no settling houses. There's no remittance in terms of a, a corporation making a remittance for you. It's peer to peer. This is why it's so powerful. This is why they're scared to death of it. Because you can do peer-to-peer cash transactions around the world, and they can't stop it. That's super capitalism. That is the network effect of capitalism. You think things spread fast on Twitter? Wait until it's on Bitcoin. Wait until they can't stop the interactions. Wait until they can't stop the social media. Wait until this breaks loose. We're on like layer one, layer two, layer three technology right now that are just barely crawling out. Still being adopted way faster than the internet. What is, what is it they're trying to do? They're trying to limit their exposure to how weak their economies are, how weak their dollars are, how weak their pounds are by telling you to use less electricity because they can't pay for it anymore because the countries that accept that kind of money, that accept money for coal, for oil, they don't want their fiat currencies anymore. So they're limit, limiting their exposure. Do you know what improves the grids, the electrical grids? Bitcoin. And I've got a story for you today. It uh, was written last year by my good friend, Mike Hobart. He wrote it then, I read it then, and I knew I had read it, and I was like, man, this is a perfect opportunity to bring this back in and bring to a point. Bitcoin stabilizes the grid. It helps the grid run at greater capacity, at maximum capacity, and then when there are draw-ups by the civilian population, power down. Mike Hobart explains that in his article today. It is fantastic. I hope you enjoy. Without further ado. How Bitcoin Mining Strengthens Electricity Grids Bitcoin enables mining utilities to engage in agreements that are mutually beneficial 
to Miner and Electricity Grid. Mike Hobart, March 12, 2022. The House hearing on crypto energy use and impact, held on January 20, 2022, was ultimately championed by a stellar defense of Bitcoin's energy use by Brian Brooks, with an especially enlightening testimony from one John Belazare, founder of Saluna Computing. Belazare and Brooks both laid out real-world examples on how Bitcoin mining is being used today to provide not only flexible income for utility providers and energy generators, but also providing stability for said networks. This is accomplished by mining operators engaging in agreements with these energy providers to turn off mining operations during times of high demand. I covered these points back in April of 2021 with my debut at Bitcoin Magazine here. The relationship between energy utilities and miners doesn't stop there. Mining operations also wind up providing a level of strength and resilience to the electricity grids by providing a manner for them to operate at near max capacity with an opportunity for monetization during the moments of non-peak demand. This new revenue stream can allow providers to accumulate capital, strengthening balance sheets, dedicate funds towards upgrades and improvements of services, equipment, expansion of services, or perhaps to increase compensation benefits for their employees. Ultimately, it does not matter how this newfound revenue is allocated or spent. The important point is that mining helps strengthen electricity grids. My hat is tipped to those two gentlemen. Well done. More fuel for Belazar's testimony comes from Nick Carter's podcast, On the Brink, released mere hours prior to the January 20th hearing. Carter sat down with Daniel Roberts, co-founder and co-CEO of Iris Energy, to discuss Bitcoin mining and mining sustainability. Roberts goes on to discuss how Iris's approach to Bitcoin mining is to seek out opportunities where it can provide a social good by solving problems for a community in areas of operations, AOs for short, like those at Great American Mining, which targets gas flaring operations. Roberts mentions a particular AO in British Columbia, Canada, around a community that had been left with a sizable gap in energy demand versus production. This gap was caused by a pulp and paper factory that ceased operations, a common result of technological advancement. When that factory was rendered no more, the former demand on energy vanished, resulting in greater supply than the demand provided by the community alone. To cover the delta, the result was increases in energy cost. By Iris entering that community, Bitcoin mining closed that energy demand gap and, in my opinion, more importantly, brought a flexible source of demand. A big part of many miners' businesses' operations and operating agreements include considerations to pivot energy distribution according to grid demand, meaning if there are scenarios where greater energy is required for the grid, such as outlier weather conditions or emergency scenarios, then the miners give the utility providers the capability to redirect energy as required for the sustainability and resilience of the community. Hats off to our Bitcoin miners. My favorite part, these mining operations incentivize more energy generation, which is an absolute necessity if we are going to continue our path to improving our Kardashev rating. This is a guest post by Mike Hobart. Opinions expressed are entirely their own and do not necessarily reflect those of BTC Inc. or Bitcoin Magazine. 
Great article by Mike Hobart, man. Uh, loved it and loved sharing it with everybody this time. This is, I'm telling you guys, there are so many different facets to Bitcoin that provide hope because they are based in real world solutions and freedom and peace. And it's just, I don't know, if you haven't started going down the rabbit holes yet, find one. I don't care if it's culture. I don't care if it's business. I don't care if it's economy. I don't care if it's power, psychology, whatever. Like there are so many different rabbit holes to go down. Pick one, find your niche and start doing something. It's, it's super simple. It's still very early. I don't know for how long, but it's super early now. Um, learn Bitcoin. I'm not telling you to invest your money. I'm not telling you to do anything. Learn it. And then when you see it, you see it. Um, Austrian economics is going to help you a lot in seeing all of this kind of stuff. So that's going to do it for today's show. I really appreciate you guys and, you know, to, to be covering this kind of stuff. I wish I didn't have to, but I'm telling you, if I didn't, it would probably eat at me even more than it already does. Later uh, in the week, I think probably tomorrow, I've got uh, Tim Niemeyer coming on the show. You guys have heard a couple of his articles. Uh, seems just like a really good guy and wanted to give him a platform to come on, kind of talk about what he's doing in Bitcoin. He's been writing for Bitcoin Magazine. He's got his own Bitcoin meetup group that he runs. I think it's in Indiana. Uh, and we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about those articles and uh, what it's like to open up and start running a, uh, a Bitcoin group. And, you know, we're just going to see how it goes from there. I think we're a lot alike. So I think it'll have, be a, a fun conversation, but that'll be tomorrow. Like I said, if you love the podcast, you can support it at Cash App, dollar sign Shane Hazel. Thank you guys for uh, everything you're doing. Thank you for sharing it. I would ask you guys, share it with your friends, share it with some loved ones. Let them see what's coming. Give them an idea of what to get prepared for the idea of what real independence is. Uh, Until next time, I love you. I need you. Peace. Um, Don't hurt people and don't take their stuff.